There's a new podcast app that delivers chilling true crime stories straight to your mobile device. Every day they release a new episode that investigate the gruesome true acts of America's worst serial killers. And you can explore into the minds of psychopaths and murderers. To get started, find and download Murder Minute from the App Store or visit MurderMinute.com. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-M-I-N-U-T-E.com to get your daily dose of true crime creepiness delivered straight to your mobile device. It's a good show. Welcome to We'll See You in Hell, your favorite podcast about horror movies, fantasy movies, and sci-fi films. And I'm sitting here with my dear friend, Pat Walsh, uh, and he said, Joe, how do you want to start the uh, show today? And I say, Pat, let's start it like this. <laughs> yep. That you is know, a... uh, I think I'd like to join you there. <laughs> Cracking open a nice, cold Coors Light at 12.15 on the Lord's Day. <laughs> Um, look, I'm not proud of it, but I'm also not not proud of it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not ashamed of it. Joe and I just had a, uh, a a lovely diner breakfast at the Astro Diner. It was inside of me for roughly eight minutes and then came <sighs> flying out of me. You did make a beeline for that. Uh, I don't know if we should eat there anymore. It always nope. seems like a good idea. And then I never... Nothing against the Astro Diner. There's nothing wrong with their food. I just never feel great after. I, I tend to, you know, I tend to try to do egg whites and shit. And today I did the whole, I did a chili omelet. Like, not not, not brown chili, but chili peppers. <laughs> and uh, But then you did eat a bowl of brown chili, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was a little, a little much. Um, yeah, it just, the second I put the fork down, I was like, I need this out of me. <laughs> um, and... You know, lo and behold, it came out. Uh, I the place the, is great. The uh, Disaster Artist, uh, the opening scenes of it are there. It's It's got a 50s vibe, and they use it in movies all the time. Yeah, so but, if you ever wanted to do a James Franco tour of yeah. L.A., that's one of your stops. Yeah, stop there and then go uh, inappropriately touch a girl's ass. Hey! Folks, why did you tell James Franco to do what he did? Uh, you know, I just kind of thought it would p- potentially shuffle him out of the mix more quickly. Sure. He's still around. He's uh, rocking that deuce, and they're just like, yeah. <laughs> so what rocking do you want you, you to say something to us? He's uh, in it, so what do you want to do? Speaking of the deuce. HBO's like, just doesn't care. Yep. Our dear friend uh, Dave Krumholz is on the deuce. He's fantastic on it. He's great. Dave, you got to stop with the selfies, babe. A lot of selfies. He's an actor. A lot of selfies. A lot of look at my new haircut. Yeah. <laughs> it's an actor. I love you, Dave, but come on. I asked him what they were going to do because he's lost about 100 pounds. Uh, He lost 50 pounds between the pilot and episode two of the show we did together. Yeah, I know. And he goes, uh, he thought he was just going to lose the part, but then this takes place. It's one of those five years have passed things. He was like, perfect. Right. I'll just have lost the weight. Right. Um, I urge you to check it out. I mean, I, I watched and enjoyed the first season. It's... It's, it's strange. It came too close on the heels of vinyl. It's much better than vinyl. It is very... It's got a similar vibe to vinyl. Yeah. I liked what I've seen of the show. I don't need Franco in dual roles playing a twin brother of a twin. Franco in single roles, but... I li- I mean, I like... I think Franco's a pretty good actor if, if he he's is. in the right thing. He's like a Nicolas Cage. If he's in the right thing, it could be great. Yeah. If he's in the wrong thing, you're like, what? what is happening right now? You know what yeah. I mean? I lo- you know I like him in Pineapple Express. I 127 hours uh just made me a complete basket case for whatever reason. He's good in things. Freaks and geeks. Now, you used to cut yourself. Am I wrong? I've never cut myself. No. I must have another guy in mind. Uh I as I told you at breakfast I've been watching Sharp Objects where Amy Adams cuts herself almost as like a Right. What'll the word be this week? Like a fun game. I was going to ask you as a cutter. Yeah. Is it? What do you, do you do? You think you'd be able to saw your own arm off? I'm sure it's easier for a cutter, right? Because you're you're in that area. I but thought you were a cutter, so I'm sorry now. 
the uh, the scene of when he cuts into his arm there, what they do to the audio, like that, zzz, almost like the operation thing when you hit a tendon or something. It was really troubling for me. The sound was more troubling than the visual on that one. What's he cut it off with? He uses like a cheap pocket knife to like saw his arm off. You've never seen it? No. I don't know if it would ha- I, if, it, if it would have the same effect on me, but when I saw it, I wound up running ahead of my friends because I was embarrassed at how much I was crying. <laughs> I uh, I ran ahead of them to the car. The movie's got nothing for me. You got you got Franco in a solo performance. You got mountain climbing. And I would have said the same I, thing. I, I don't want to see this damn thing. It actually, I think the reason it hit me and the reason it would probably hit you is the. Uh, it's really about. How some people, generally men, have an inability to open themselves up to love and relationships. Oh, see, now that's what you were crying about. Yes, yeah. It had nothing to do with that arm. No, it wasn't the arm, but... The arm was a metaphor for the father and son's bond. If he had told anyone that he was going on this hike in the middle of the desert, then he he would have been completely fine. But he wants to do everything himself, and he's very stubborn, and blah, blah, blah. It's It's a really good story. Okay. And a true story. Now, wh- wh- who does Jonah Hill play in this one? Jonah Hill is uh, the voice of an owl <laughs> that taunts Franco while he's trapped in the crevasse. Represents his conscience? Yeah. Okay. And yeah. when does Seth Rogen come into it? Rogen is not in the film. No? But uh, I'm sure he had a, a writing credit or something on it. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Joe, what's going on with you? Well, at breakfast today, I ate something called the Old Quartet. The Old Quartet. Yeah, almost based on the name alone, I ordered it. Yeah. It was two pancakes, two eggs, two sausage links, two bases of bacon. I feel terrible right now. I, you're going to want to do what I did, and then you'll feel much better. Well, we, we already started recording, and I have one rule in podcasting, is I won't break to shit during a podcast. I appreciate that. Uh, it's kind of like how Walter Winchell used to drink a lot of water, so he had to pee before he would go on the air, so uh-huh. he was all, like, revved up. Okay. That's what I do. I, hold I didn't sh- know that. I hold a full shit in through an entire podcast. All right. It gives me my energy. Yeah. It gives me my center. You I know? hear you. I hear you. It helps me. Uh, but yeah, I Joe was terrible. fuming. He's like, I want, it, I want this because I want the pancake. So if I get the quartet, I can get the pancake. She comes over. I order the omelet I want. She goes, you want toast or pancakes? Easiest pie. <laughs> and anyway, what the hell kind of d- deal is that? Toast it, or pancakes? I thought it was nuts. And it was this, there was no add-on to my bill. <sighs> you know, I can't be eating pancakes either. I mean, just uh, we shouldn't have done that. Joe initially proposed Mimi's Cafe, one of the shittiest restaurants in the world. I'll tell you what. We would feel better, The breakfast is much better at Mimi's. Mimi's has a good breakfast and a delicious coffee. All right. I don't know why everybody... You guys hate on Mimi's for for no reason. You and I went to Mimi's, and it was terrible. We had terrible service and terrible food. What did we get? I had some sort of egg white deal. and Their breakfast is good. I mean, I wouldn't go in there and get the fucking turkey dinner. No. Uh, but they have crepes, which there is There was nice. a period of time where I would always order the Thanksgiving dinner anywhere, like at a diner, anything, I'd get the Thanksgiving. Really? Like the cranberry, I like putting it on the stuffing, moving it around. There's something about a Thanksgiving plate. Yeah. For some reason, when you make turkey the base of the plate, yeah, you get all kinds of extra shit. It's true. When you get a steak, they're giving you one, maybe two sides. Yeah chicken same thing for some of you say turkey there they go you want there's cranberry sauce there's stuffing there's mashed potatoes here's a green it may be that if, if you just eat turkey it's very bland and dry and you want some help yeah it's getting it's it a down terrible the meat by itself yeah but i got the i went to the tam o'shanner the other day wonderful and got the you know we talk often on here about their carving station i went with the turkey carving because I said, let me eat something reasonably healthy here. Yeah. And two sides plus a, th- a dollop of cranberry sauce. You don't get that cranberry sauce with any of the other meats. And it's cheaper than the other meats. You don't get it on the corned beef? No. You don't get it on the prime rib? Folks, if you don't live in L.A., this is probably not a great segment for you, us discussing restaurants within a one-mile radius of our <laughs> apartments, our homes. But uh, here we are. 
I would like to get started, if I may, um, by getting on with the show. And at the same time, on with the... I don't, I don't have one in the chamber. I've done Joe your own way. I got to write. I got to. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a list. Think about it before the mic is in front of you. I'm going to put a list in my phone. I thought I would just start talking and something would come out. Well, fly by the seat of your damn pants. I'll pick a song and I'll go through it. And I'm like, there's got to be an O sound. And then I'll I'll be deep in the chorus and there's no O. It's happened week after week. Uh, You could do. uh, I was just doing Suspicious Minds. Oh, I know what you could do. A shitty song by a shitty band that we talked about at breakfast today that you like for some reason. Soul Asylum. Black Joel Gold. Asylum. I feel like you could put Joe in, in place of the gold. I'd buy that. Black Jold? Yeah. I'd buy that. Black Jold in a night sky. Won't <laughs> you fill up the tank? Let's Joe for a ride. See? I don't care about no wheelchair. I got so much, Joe, much left to do with my yeah. life. Magic. Yeah. Uh, God, uh, that I like Black Gold. I like Soul Some. I was telling Joe. That's the best of the songs. Black Gold's great. And Somebody to Shove is great. That's a great riff. Don't you want somebody to shove? Don't. Is that how love. that goes? Somebody to love. How does Somebody to Shove go? Grandfather watches the grandfather clock. You don't know this one? No. I'm waiting by the phone, waiting for you to call me up and tell me I'm not alone. It's just so much white angst in that music. That was the time. It was just so much white ang. I come from a steel-making town, and my daddy didn't care. He bought me cigarettes for Christmas. That was the time. It's one of those towns. And my favorite of their songs is called Misery, Frustrated Incorporated. Uh, It should have been Misery, parentheses, Frustrated Incorporated. Folks, he told me this at breakfast today. I almost lunged uh, my butter knife into his eye. Let me tell you the lyrics. It helps a little bit to know that they were intentionally trying to make a bad number one hit single. But here it is. No, no, no. Don't say bad. That part is not in the story. They were trying to make a hit single, but they, they never said bad. They did it kind of tongue-in-cheek, I think. Well, you And think. it wound up becoming a big hit. It's a theory. They played over the end of Clerks 2. I know, and it almost... It, it's, it's, it, it ruins the movie more for me than the donkey fucking sequence. That's a weird sequence, yeah. Uh, Clerks 2 has its moments, but... Uh, here's, you know. here's the verse. They say misery... Love's company. We could start a company that makes misery frustrated. Oh my God. Incorporated. I'll come over there and kick you. Great song. Then at the end, when they really get it going, it's dog shit. There's you don't really like that song. You're just saying that. This is like when you say, "I just say I hate things because they're popular or whatever." You you don't really like that. My song. playlist songs with a Z, followable on Spotify, <laughs> contains that song. It's a it's a song that I listen to at the gym. It's a song that I have always loved. I can't help it. This is like when you said the uh, gin blossoms were better than Pearl Jam. I, I stand by it. One of the craziest statements I've ever heard a human being make. I stand by it. They had better songs. Where do you put the Goo Goo Dolls in this whole? I never liked the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, okay. So you, so you, even you have limits. Yeah. The only Goo Goo Dolls, Goo Goo Dolls song I like is on the uh, Angus soundtrack. <laughs> is it? Which what? is a fantastic like pop punk soundtrack. The uh, there's that Green Day song on there. Green Day. They have J A R, which is a maybe one of their best songs. Uh, Weezer, they have You Gave Your Love to Me Softly. Oh, it's a great, a great soundtrack. Tune. Great, great soundtrack. Tune. What is the... Uh, Smoking Popes, who what, I love. What is the uh, uh, Goo Goo Dolls song on there? The Goo Goo Dolls song on there is... Fuck. Uh, oh, it's uh, Ain't That Unusual. Ain't That Unusual. 
It's a little more rocking than their other shit. It's not the high point of the Angus sound. Oh, it's a little more rocking than I don't know what to say when you and see I me. I don't want the world <laughs> to see me. I should have saved that for the next one. Where he, I believe he's on a swing set in the video. I believe so. Yeah. Singing it. You know they were a punk band when they started out? That The uh, the Angus song is more of that feel. They kind of sounded like the replacements. They were trying to be like the replacements. They're, well, the earliest stuff is they're straight up punk records. Right, yeah. And they're, they suck. They, got they suck that. as bad as the later records, just for different reasons. Right. They had that like super heavy set bassist with like a flock of seagulls hair. Just oh, a silly, guy. silly band. That guy. There's always one guy in the band where you're like, man, he must have known you forever. Yeah. Because you yeah. were definitely the guy the label was like, what do you say we get rid of yeah. the guy that's always pasty and right. put a good looking bass player in there, you know? Well, I, so I was watching... From last night from 12 till 3 a.m., I watched uh, 90s bands performing on either Letterman or Conan. I, even a great band this I won't watch on This after Sharp Atlanta. Objects. After, yeah, four episodes of Sharp Objects. Oh, it was a big night. So there are these bands. Like, I always like this band, Super Drag. You know them? Yeah. Who sucked out the, the feeling? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that song. So they're playing Sucked Out on Conan. And the lead guy is dressed like Hard Day's Night era Beatles, yeah. like with the suit and the little frilly thing. The bassist is dressed like Jimi Hendrix, bell bottoms, skin tight shirt. The guitarist is dressed grunge, and then the drummer is like a forty year old, very overweight guy in acid wash jeans and a tucked in button up shirt, <laughs> and like a dork haircut. And I was like. Sucked out. I hadn't heard it in forever. The song is killer. I know it was a modest hit. Right. But that whole first album is great. Regretfully yours, Super Drag. They're a good band. They're kind of like a lesser Weezer. But then you see them and you're like, oh, that's why they didn't hit. They You got to pick a, at least a uniform. You can have one wild card. You can't all be a wild card. Right, right. They looked ridiculous on stage. Right. Yeah, I never, I don't remember what they looked like. I just remember that video. And that guy is screaming at the camera. I, I don't know if I've ever seen the video. It's a who sucked out. It makes you like the song less because he yeah. looks so annoying when he's screaming it. Sure. Uh, but it but it's a good song. Um, it's I love watching that stuff because you can see who can really hang and who actually has the, the pipes. Like there's some bands where like Paul Schaefer and everyone in the band is playing the song with the band because clearly at rehearsal they were like, we can't air this. Right. So, like, you know, like, Green Day or something will just be the three of them. Because, you know, they were always a tight live band. But there are groups up there where the lead guitar is being played by Paul Schaefer. You can hear his amp is up louder than everybody else's. The guitar... Schaefer doesn't play guitar, does he? Schaefer plays everything. He does? I didn't know that. I he, thought he, only he has played his the, old band yeah. play. They had the uh, the Proclaimers, which I watched. 500 Miles, which I'm sorry. You're not going to like this either. I love that song. Oh, all right. Those guys what movie come walking is that out. From? Sorry, Benny and June. Benny and June. All right, yeah. Those guys come walking out. You you can tell the audience is like, this is not what I was expecting. It's their first ever TV performance. They destroy Five Hundred Miles, and then Letterman, which I have almost never seen him do with a band, waves them over, and then he's like, I, "What a song! <laughs> what a song!" Wait, he's like, "Where are you from?" And they're like. I'm from Scotland. And then he's like, oh, wow, look at some of that voice. It's like he fell falling in love with them. But uh, that's it's always exciting to watch when Letterman gets excited. His When he got – Future Islands was the last one before he left the stage that you saw him get really genuinely turned on by a band. What, what happened to the Proclaimers? Are they still big overseas? I bet they they play the bar circuit, you know. Because that, that that was their only hit, but they had other songs. They had a song in the Shrek soundtrack. I feel like in Scotland they're probably still huge. That's true. I'm gonna look it up. Let's see. Or here. you could uh, join me in this podcast. I'm joining you. You looked up a thing. Can't I look up a thing? I don't think I looked up a thing. Yeah, a minute ago you said I'm gonna look this up. I don't remember what the hell it was, folks. Let me take you over. To Pat's movie corner, if I may. I um, like that. Let me just look it up. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. The Proclaimers, a folk rock duo. Oh, wow. Now, I'm looking at pictures of these guys. They are twin brothers. They do not look 
the way they used to. Well, who does, you know? But I mean, they look like uh like dads now, like like sort of late era dads. Yeah. Um there they are in their in all their 500 miles glory. Uh also similar artists, uh Ugly Casanova, have you heard of them? No. Al Kaiola? No. There's no way these are similar artists. King Missile I've heard of. Strange that Al Kaiola didn't become a big uh, <laughs> recording sensation. It's a guy from the 50s who plays a guitar. It's like, that. how is this a uh, similar artist to the Proclaimers? I mean, I could get like the Everly Brothers, where it's like great harmonies and acoustic guitar. Well, this is calling them a folk rock duo. I don't think that's wrong. Um, I kn- that well, song, man, is uh, just a powerhouse. Yeah, that's not a folk rock song. Right? It's close enough. Their last album, Angry Cyclist, 2018, debuted on the UK charts at number 17. So they're still pretty relevant. Okay. okay. Let's Hear It For The Dogs is one of their records. I think they had a song in Bottle Rocket. Wes Anderson was an early fan. Uh, what is the album? Sunshine on Leith? Is that, yeah, that's the one that's with the 500 one, yeah. Miles. Four and a half stars it's got on all music. I've never heard one of the other songs from it. Let's Get Married is a good one. They have good songs. What's Let's Get Married like? Uh, Let's Get Married. <laughs> Something like that. It's not a cover of the Al Green song. I saw a film called Cretia, which is available on Amazon Prime, and it is the debut of... Trey Schultz, who directed It Comes at Night, which I never saw, but I know divided audiences sure. very strongly. Cretia got a lot of comparisons to Hereditary, but it is not a horror movie. It's simply like a it's like family horror, I would call it. I was very excited to see it. But it's this woman whose name is Cretia Jones. Cretia Fairchild, excuse me. I have no idea why she would agree to have the title character share her name. She's a, one of the most hateful characters I've ever seen. But this woman, she's like 65. She's a mess. It starts with her like carrying her suitcase up to Thanksgiving dinner at this house. She steps in a pile of dog shit. She's muttering to herself. Sounds and like a comedy so far. No, it's like they're doing like this tracking shot on her, and it's... It, even though it's just a woman walking up to a house, it's immediately very, very tense. And then she goes into the house, and everyone clearly has major issues with her from the last time she came to a, a family event. There's nothing really to spoil, but it's basically she is a recovering alcoholic who just can't seem to get past it. And you just keep waiting kind of through your fingers for her to get back on the sauce and and fuck up this thanksgiving which of course she does right uh you know it wasn't pleasant it was very tense and uncomfortable i like that sort of thing i get the hereditary comparison because even scenes that were just like a woman walking down a hallway you felt very uncomfortable uh i recommend it i thought it was a great low budget horror movie it's a24 i dug it all right i'll check it out and by the way when i say horror again no jump scare. It's not. It's not horror. It's just a family, but it's intense. I'll check it out. I only have two for this week, by the way. Go on. I watched Margot Robbie's Terminal. Never even heard of it. It's a movie with her, Simon Pegg, and Mike Myers. It's a very, you know, it's sort of a Xeroxed, Tarantino-y. Blade Runner-y, noir kind of thing. Uh, Tarantino and Blade Runner. It looks like Blade Runner, sort of, because it's a lot of neon and whatever. It's not not futuristic, necessarily. It's just a lot of neon and stuff. And... um, and then it it it's written very Tarantino-y. It's very Sin City-ish, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a terrible pile of shit, the movie. I mean, it's just derivative of so many things. It doesn't do one original thing. What does Mike Myers portray? He plays like a, like a train station manager or something, or attendant. A normal role, or does he have like fake teeth and shit? No, he's like, it's like if Austin Powers wasn't funny. Oh, okay. It's like one of those things. He's like doing, he's going that broad with it? Well, not that broad. It's just that he's doing like a Cockney accent, and he's got a lot of makeup and shit on. Okay. But uh, 
It's is he terrible. good? Yeah, he's fine. All right. It's, uh, look, the movie sucks ass. Yeah. So it's impossible to really judge anybody on anything in it. It's a terrible fucking movie. This is how bad the movie was. I looked up Peter Travers' review of this thing. Worst movie critic there is? Yeah, the guy that says everything is great if yeah. a famous person is in it. Right. He, his, the title of his review was Come Back Suicide Squad, All is Forgiven. Oh, my God. He trashed this fucking thing. Like, I haven't seen somebody trash a goddamn movie. Uh, so Margot you know, Robbie directed? No, she just stars in it. Okay. And, and it really annoyed me because it's just like, you know, it, in the, this, goes for, this goes both ways. This goes for men and women in Hollywood. If you're hot enough, you just get chances. Sure. It's like, she's a good actor. But, dude, she's made a couple fucking major stinkers right in a row. And they're still like, Roby will direct the next, you know, and it's like, like. Well, she just got nominated for an Oscar. It's a little different. Well, that's, if that she's fucking lucky that that one worked out, yeah. man. Uh, she's, but they do this with guys, too, all the fucking time. Like, you know, just like, why, why you know. It was like Keanu in the... I like Keanu now, but like back, you know, in the day, Keanu would just... He yeah. was just stinking everything up, and they would just keep giving him shit. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Anyway, she's she's not a bad actor. She's a, she's actually a very good actor, but uh, this movie sucks. All right. Uh, I mean, to the, I was like almost offended by how derivative it was. All right. And then I looked up the uh, director... Because I'm like, you know, let me, it's called, again, this film's called Terminal, not The Terminal with Tom Hanks, which people, I'll tell you, if you thought they couldn't possibly make something worse than The Terminal starring Tom, they did it somehow. Yeah. Uh, You ever see Terminal Velocity with Sheen? No. It's pretty damn good. The, uh, they drop a car out of a plane. And you like fall with it. It had great action sequences. It's not a bad movie. Terminal Velocity. Okay. Now this is Sheen and John Cryer. No, that's Two and a Half Men. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. All right. Well, it's, it sounds similar. Uh, I, was, I was telling Joe about the only joke I've ever seen of Two and a Half Men. I, I was flipping through and I, I was like, I'll watch one joke. And it's Charlie Sheen and a woman is in his bedroom and he's kind of trying to coerce her into the sack. And she goes, boy, your bedroom is pretty sparsely decorated. And he goes, I got all I need. Check in the nightstand. She opens the nightstand. There's a Bible and nasal spray. He goes, yeah, the Bible because you're going to be screaming, oh, God, in a minute. And the nasal spray because you're going to need to breathe through your nose. (laughs) The show aired at 8 p.m. on Monday nights. In a church. Blown Uh, away by it. Still, Still think about that joke. That's a wild joke, man. I mean, awful, awful. You got another one? I do. I do. I watched The Little Hours, also on Amazon Prime. Now, that's the one with Nicole Kidman and... That's The Hours. Okay. That's the normal-sized hour. Oh, the little... This is uh, the one with all the sisters, right? The nuns. Oh, I'm thinking of Little Women. What is... (laughs) Howie Mandel's in this. No, little, little monsters. monsters. All right. right. I don't know what it is. What it's is it? Charlize Theron as Eileen Warnos. No, that's Monster. Uh, <laughs> no, Little Hours is written and directed by uh, a poker friend of mine, Jeff Baena, who uh, I play poker with. And I, I really enjoyed it. It's like it was a very original movie. It's, taken, it's like in... Uh, you know, like the days of monks and nuns. I know they still have monks and nuns, but um, it's basically not a Dave- lot of nuns these days. That's true. It's Dave Franco goes into a small village and uh, just shakes up this group of nuns. They all just want to fuck him and drives them all completely insane, basically. So the nuns are. What year does this take place in? A, you know, long, long time ago. Like in like the 1700s or something? Yeah. Yeah. Let me look. And but, Dave uh, Franco comes in as a monk? He's like, you know, just kind of like a drifter going from town to town sort of thing. Medieval nuns. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so medieval times, whatever. whatever. Does, he I, bang I sh- any of the, does he bang the nuns? There's a couple pretty hot sex scenes, but it's largely a comedy. Oh, it's a comedy. Oh, The Little Hours with uh, Kate. Uh... It's Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, yeah. Kate McCucci. 
Uh, oh, that yeah, where they're like the foul mouth nuns. Right. I heard that's very funny. There's great performances by Molly Shannon, John C. Riley, uh, Nick Offerman's very funny in it. Fred Armisen is very funny in it, and it's just like one of those where it's not like um, where they're all talking like "Hey, dude" and "Bro," but they just have sort of a modern cadence, yeah, and still talking that language and yeah, it winds I was, up being really funny i was having a hard time like picturing dave franco taking on a very serious it uh, ain't serious <laughs> uh it's got a very interesting vibe to it and it's almost like one of those movies that tries to like the coen bros where you kind of try to invent your own way of speaking but it's like modern day language but they're still using the terminology of of those times and it winds up being a nice funny arrangement i don't know how else to explain it but oh, all right it's hey. a very short um sexy funny kind of picture and there's hot sex scenes in this thing in a comedy there's like a th- three-way where they got him like got franco with a knife to his throat and they're like taking advantage of him i mean the, the three you mentioned just now it's plaza uh Mikuchi. jemima kirk the british girl from girls and franco there's okay. a lot of scenes of just a bunch of like naked women running around a campfire. It's a wild time. All right. Uh, lots of graphic nudity. I recommend it. It, it. it felt unlike any movie I've seen in, in quite some time. And uh, I'm glad I liked it or I wouldn't have mentioned it because my friend uh, made it. Uh, my last one is a movie called Minutes Past Midnight. What, what are these movies? Maybe what are these movies? You go watch your fucking shit and I'll watch mine. <laughs> Leave me alone. But I haven't even heard of either of your picks this week. Terminal was a movie with Margot Robbie. It was in movie theaters. All right. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, that first one you meant. What was the first one you mentioned? I don't even remember it now. The first one I mentioned? Yeah. Uh, oh, Chris, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, that come was a small on. Movie. The, uh, we like to showcase some indies here, you know? Minutes Past Midnight is a very, very fun horror anthology. You can watch it for free on Amazon Prime. It's streaming. Um, it was recommended to me by my our dear friend, uh, James Pinkstone. Uh, and it's a hilarious... Uh, hilarious, sorry. It's a really fun uh, horror anthology movie. Not every story is a home run, but there's about eight or nine stories, and I'd say five or six of them are really solid. All right. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. It's very, you know, it, obviously in the vein of, you know, Creep Show and all that great stuff. Well, and today's film, uh, Tales from the Hood, which we've yet to no, even that's, mention. No, we're doing Slither right now. Tales from the Hood is uh, oh. is next week. <laughs> well, you didn't say. How am I, I supposed did. to know which one we're doing? When you came in from your huge shit. I said, I've got us queued up for Slither first, right, okay? Well, and I you went, okay, great. All right, I didn't listen. So next week, <laughs> Tales from the Hood, this week, Slither. I assume we'd do them in the order I watched them this week. I don't know if you know this, but I don't keep tabs on your fucking life. <laughs> no. Uh, Who's in Moments After Midnight? What, like, what minutes year is Minutes past midnight. Who's in Minutes past midnight? <laughs> Nobody. Okay. Nobody famous. I mean, at least over here, nobody famous. Uh, there's there's some there's some foreign language segments, and uh, and there's some like English and Scottish actors. They might be big overseas. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Each each short is directed and written by a different writer director, and they're all very well done. Okay, and they're just a lot of fun. It was really uh, it was a really fun movie for anthology fans. Now, when I was trying to watch it. Based on the recommendation, I accidentally searched for minutes to midnight. Sure. And it came up, and it wasn't streaming, and I was like, I could have sworn this movie was streaming for free. So I was like, all right, I'll rent it. Spent four or five bucks to rent it, and got a Richard Grieco William Baldwin horror movie (laughs) that looked like it was shot on an iPhone. Okay. About 32 minutes into this thing, I'm like, they're still in the same fucking first story? What the hell is this? And then realized uh, I had rented the wrong movie. Right. And was not done too pleased. Did you finish it? No. I have the option to because yeah. it's still in my my thing. But I, I, I don't think I can finish it, man. My last one is another. I like doing these three. I, doing three on a theme. I'll give you one more indie this week called Brigsby Bear. Uh-huh. Uh, 
co-written by SNL's Kyle Mooney and also starring him as well, who I believe you played uh, beer pong with recently, yes? I did play beer pong against him. He did not like me. I get that. Well, I talk a lot of shit when I play beer pong. That's the fun of beer pong. Otherwise, it's grown men throwing ping pong balls at each other. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Uh, And he did not seem to to care for that, especially when I called him Spielberg from the 70s because he had... (laughs) He had on a ball cap, glasses, and a beard and long curly hair. So you call him Spielberg from the 70s. Do others laugh? Uh, I don't remember. I was a little tipsy at the time. But he didn't laugh. He did not find it funny. Did he say anything to you, like, fuck you, or just let it go? No, he just didn't, you know, he just was clearly annoyed. And then then later on that night, I saw him, and I go, hey, man, that was fun. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And then... About a week after that, I saw my buddies whose party it was. He was it was him and his girlfriend. We were out together, and I go, I go, you know that that Kyle Mooney guy did not like me. And his his buddy's girlfriend goes, "What did you say to him?" By the way, which, I was like, which oh, means so. there's been conversation. <laughs> yeah, but then they thought it was funny. They were laughing. They were like, right. "Oh, it's fine. Who cares?" I was like, "I don't care. Who just, does you care?" Know. I think you know. I I have a bit of this too. I love dishing it out, and then certain things people will say. Remind me of being bullied, and you, and you you get really angry. You can't help it. Uh, so that's probably what happened. And in, in his defense, he wasn't really dishing it out. Yeah. I came in with like, this is how I play beer pong energy. Sure. And because it's L.A., the other person uh, expects you immediately to adapt to their energy. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And if you don't do so, then, then it's just a miserable experience. So that, that's right. what happened. I didn't expect him to adapt to my energy. Yes. I just, you know, thought maybe we could, you know, have a little fun, right. uh, you know, competitive fun. But, you know, this is the, this is, we live in a city of, uh, you know, if they could outlaw, if they could somehow make lines illegal in L.A., they would because yeah. they make people feel too left out or whatever. You know, so it's 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 just not a competitive scene out here. Well, regardless of the energy the man brings to the uh, sorry the beer pong court, seem like a nice man. This movie is really good. I liked it. It's very original. Uh, it is about a guy who is kidnapped from his parents as a baby. Uh, by Mark Hamill and his wife, and they raise him, showing him videos that they make themselves about this character named Brigsby Bear because they're trying to keep him from the outside world. So he's like in a bunker, essentially, and as far as he knows, these Brigsby Bear videos are like like entertainment, but his parents are making them for him to teach him like messages that they want to teach him. That's kind of fucked. That's a fucked up aspect of the story. He grows up. Uh, he escapes, he finds his actual parents, and then he wants to keep making these Brigsby Bear videos. So it's it's really like, let's put on a show. They make, uh, him and his friends decide to make a Brigsby Bear movie. And I know this sounds like an insane uh, setup, and it is, but it was very charming. It wasn't like a laugh a minute, but it was just a visually cool, very interesting movie. I liked it. Okay. You know? It sounds like a fun movie. I saw the trailers. It looked good. It was cool. It was cool. And Hamill was great in it. Hamill's a good actor. It's rare to see him in uh, a non-Star Wars vehicle. Um, All right. Well, nice. Uh, I think I saw that on Stars, but that might be on Amazon as well. Now, if I ever write and direct a movie, do you think Kyle Mooney has a podcast where he'll discuss it? Uh, No. Okay. No, I don't. Me neither. That's fine. I I don't give to take, Pat. Yeah. I give to give. Uh, Kinnear in it, too, and it reminded me of just what a welcome presence Kinnear always is. I like him. Where's he been? I even liked him in that movie about the invention of the uh, windshield wipers. I wasn't on board for that one. That was up there with Joy about the lady that invented the mop. I was like, for Christ's sakes, guys, Uh, are we out of inventors (laughs) to write stories about at this point? I was too pissed to enjoy that one because... Uh, I had been working for years on my screenplay about the woman who invented the mop. So it really kind of stole my thunder. Right. And it was called Sopped, correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sopping wet. Yeah. Uh, More of a erotic take on, <laughs> on the story. But uh, Flash of Genius, which is the terrible title of oh, the uh, Windshield Wipers movie. I like that movie. Have you actually seen it? No. It's 
honestly, I don't give you a like shit it too. It's pretty interesting. The guy that made it, windshield wipers. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> well, you've never been like turned your windshield wipers on and thought, I wonder. I swear to God, I have wondered. Drop ceilings were the ones that I would always, I would always say to my friends when I was in a place that had a drop ceiling. I'd go, you know, it's crazy. Some guy or lady or whoever invented that thing. Yeah. They're probably fucking gazillionaires. I right. was like, we just we just go, yeah, it's a drop ceiling. You never think about that. So I appreciate there's there's this idea of, hey, there are things that you encounter every day that seem quite mundane that somebody actually had to invent. Yeah. And they served a real purpose in our lives. But I don't want look, I love bookshelves. I don't want to see a fucking movie about the guy that invented them. I sure. don't care. What are drop ceilings? It's like when there's like the 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 like foam panels. The foam Foam's what? the wrong word, but like the almost like styrofoam looking panels, the you know the squares. Yeah, and there's like it's like a grid, and the you can you can push the panel up. And okay, yeah, that's a drop ceiling. Why do they have those? Again, I don't know. I'm assuming so you can get into your ceiling and fix pipes and shit. Okay, and somebody was probably like, "Oh my god, in an industrial building, this is brilliant." Yeah, it's going to save us so much money. So you want to see like. A movie called Drop It Like It's Hot. No, I don't want to see it. Starring Paul Reiser as the inventor of drop ceilings. Now I want to see it. <laughs> not until you said Reiser. Yeah. Yeah, regular ceilings? Not so much. Yeah. Uh, I, I like a drop ceiling. <laughs> By see, the way, Paul Reiser has an incredibly funny one-minute top scene in the little hours. Oh, great. He, I like Reiser. He's like brought his daughter, who's a nun, like a care package, and he's dropping it off. It's a funny movie. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I, I thought it looked funny when I saw the trailer. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, ch- ch- uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about uh, Slither. Slither, directed by James Gunn. And why did you tell James Gunn to do what he did, Joe? Well, we, we haven't addressed that. I mean, that's a whole controversy as well. In all fairness, what I did do was I told the kids to tweet about what James Gunn had done to them. Okay. And then okay. somehow it got back to him, and he thought, I'm supposed to tweet about peeing on kids' heads or something. Sure. He didn't do anything to kids. I'm kidding. It's a joke. The jokes he made on Twitter that he got in trouble for were pedophile jokes. I'm just joking. Yeah, I mean, the the jokes, especially when you re- you know read them through this lens of today and everything, were A, yeah, bad jokes, B, not funny, C, in bad taste. But... I mean, as long as that's all they were as jokes, I think what's happened here is completely insane. I think anybody, if they meant it as a joke, you got to give them a pass. Yeah. It, the, it's the intention. It's not the effect. It's the intention. Right. People go, well, if it's funny, then it's fine. It's like, oh, well, who the fuck gets to decide that? That's true. Every comedian has done a joke on stage where everybody is dying laughing and two people walk out offended. Right. It's so it's the intention. The guy was fucking joking, obviously. I think he well, he was obviously joking. the The bigger issue uh, is he's making movies for Disney, and I see that that puts Disney in a bad position. Well, the guy who outed him, quote uh, Mike Cernovich, is one of the biggest scumbags in the world who has quite a record himself. If you want to look into him, but you know J- James Gunn. My life's not any any bleaker not having him direct movies. It's right. okay. I feel, ba- I feel, I feel bad, bad for the for guy. The guy. But Absolutely. I also, I'm, look, I'm going to say if this. It was just jokes. It was just jokes. Yeah. I I would bet my life on it. And I'd, I'll, I'll fucking say this right now, too. I felt fucking bad for Roseanne. I don't think she's a fucking dirty racist. I think she made a joke that fucking was a major misfire. And every nobody gave her a fucking chance to goddamn breathe. Right. And it's like, dude. Well, the issue with her is... She was mentally ill when they hired her, and they knew it. They absolutely yeah. knew it. James Gunn is a man who seems completely stable and reasonable. He's also 52, which I didn't know. He is. Like, this is a, a normal human being. But by the all reason accounts. this, what's the guy's name? Chenoweth? Mike Cernovich. Cernovich, You're whatever. Of Kristen Chenoweth. She's great. <laughs> Cernovich, the reason he does this shit is because uh, it's, 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 I'm, I'm not justifying it, but yeah. it's this fucking reactionary bullshit that everybody does now. Where they go, well, you did this to one of ours, so now we're going to do this to one of yours. It was, it's literally... Interesting to choose James Gunn, though. Like he's, That's not Roseanne. That's not an equivalent. It was Goodfellas shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, are are you okay with what your dog's doing, by the way? What's he doing? Stripping a tennis ball. I'm just making sure. I guess so. You know, I don't. I don't want you to get out on the court tomorrow and find that you've got a uh, a faulty ball. He, well, oh, the tennis ball, you mean? Yeah. Uh, I know we've got that 7 a.m. Uh, court time. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was Billy Bats shit. Yeah. You know, and and it's a shame that that's where we're at. But nobody wants to listen to anybody. Nobody wants to let anybody breathe. So now it's just mob hits. Yeah. That's all it is. It's you whacked our guy. Now we're going to whack your guy. And uh, look, I can't get mad at somebody. Well, I don't agree with somebody reacting like that. I certainly understand spite. I'm a spiteful man myself. But, uh, but you know, we got to start applying these, these standards to everybody. You know, it's like nobody, nobody chastised Dave Batista yeah. for defending James Gunn. Right. Everybody chastised Monique, a black woman, for defending Roseanne and saying, like, look, when nobody gave a fuck about me, there was one woman that cared. It was Roseanne. I don't think she's racist. I think she made a mistake. Yeah. And that's a very uh, a man fair I'm working thing with who I won't mention uh, worked with Roseanne for many years. Just I don't know if he would want it mentioned, but he said there's no way in hell she is a racist. It just gives, gives. I think that tweet is unquestionably racist. Um, look, nobody's saying nobody's saying it well. was a good tweet. Yeah, nobody's saying it was a good tweet, and then it didn't uh, push the wrong buttons. Right. What I'm saying is, is that's why I go back to intention. You go, all right, that was a bad joke. Say you're fucking sorry. Yeah. Which she was very quick to do. So was Gun. Yeah. You know, but it's like we're we going to split hairs over pissing on a three-year-old versus right a racist i mean it's all awful shit you know what i mean i ultimately guess i just don't care enough but um i don't i guess i don't either i don't know where i am i mean it's just it, it made me uncomfortable enough to go back and delete like i i searched 300 words and then went back and deleted tweets that were even mildly questionable I don't love that I had to do that, but I felt like I did have to do that. You know, I and and the, the things I were deleting, even somebody who's combing through tweets looking to have a problem with me would have had a hard time, you know, pr- proving that I had hate in my heart for these things. Right. There was nothing, no racist things, no anything. But I was just kind of like this. If somebody hated me and wanted to ruin my life. This tweet, if with enough heat and and hatred behind the person coming at me, could have a case. And I know a lot of friends in comedy and not who did the same thing. I mean, and some who took down their accounts completely because it's just not worth the risk. Well, I took down my account. Yeah, and I don't think I've I don't think I've ever tweeted anything that crazy. Uh, yeah, um, but I took it down, and I was just like, here's why I took it down though. Yeah, because I remember when you were deleting, and that same day I went on Movie Web, and they had a they had a story on uh, Movie Web, which you know I talk about Movie Web quite a bit on this on this podcast, and I do go there for a lot of movie news. I'm not crazy about the site; it is becoming more and more every day, like the National Enquirer or right. movie sites. Um, so I'm not crazy that they even ran this story. But uh, they did run a story where they said, uh, Ryan Johnson deletes 20,000 tweets. Right. What's the deal or whatever? A, you shouldn't have 20,000 tweets. But, but okay. <laughs> and I sent you that link, and I remember saying, now they're keeping tabs on who's deleting. And I immediately went on Twitter, and I said, given the state of Twitter and the way people are reacting to jokes, fuck this shit. Yeah. You guys have a good time. I'll see you later. Yeah. And that was the last thing I ever tweeted, and it, then it counts down. It's like, I'm not, I'm not playing this fucking game. I took Instagram off my phone. I use it when I need to. I put up my hard bod vids sometimes, sure. you know, for fun. But it's just like, this, this is fucking ridiculous what's going on right now. It's just crazy. And it's Obviously. like, I don't know why you'd even want to dance in that fucking... People are like, just don't react to it. It's like, why even go into the schoolyard right. with these people? Like, gun... You know, never has to make another dollar again as long as he's alive. But to to know that like some stupid jokes he put on a blog or something ten years ago cost him, let's be real here, probably upwards of a hundred million dollars, is pretty nuts. It's pretty nuts. And uh, that's what I mean. And that's what I mean by it's all reactionary. It's all mob. Everybody is acting out of passion right now. Right. Nobody's saying Roseanne made a good tweet. Nobody's saying the joke was in good taste. Right. Nobody's saying it wasn't a misfire. 
All I'm saying is, is when you go, no, no mercy. I don't want to hear it. I don't care what you say. You're dead. That's it. Right. Then when one of your guys does it, you have to do it to him because you're like, well, now we're going to look like fucking hypocrites if we don't. And you start eating yourself at that point. Yeah. The, The other thing is a tweet from, you know, 2008, 2008, before... The, today, the society became what it is. A lot of things from a lot of people are going to look kind of shocking. Like th- words you could say, things that were acceptable 10 years ago, doesn't mean they were great. And people, I think, have gotten smarter now about what offends people, what hurts people, what holds back groups, etc. <clears throat> but to point at something written 10 years ago and say, this is offensive. Well, nobody commented on it then because it fit right into everything else that was happening. No, it's, it's, that, it's, that, fucking, it's that fucking bullshit that Molly Ringwald said about, uh, what's his face, John, John Hughes. Hughes yeah. where she's like, I can't believe he missed that, that, that glaring out of place in this movie. Molly, you fucking missed it too. Yeah. Everybody missed it because you lived in a different time. That's how progress works. Exactly. You yeah. look back and go, remember when we used to do that and that wasn't cool? Now we don't do that anymore. Right. Good for us. Right. Oh, God, it drives me fucking crazy, man. Yeah, you know, made, made six movies with the man that made her entire career what it is. The only reason she still gets work. But now pile on a dead guy. The only thing that that Hughes has in his movies that always kind of makes me take a step back and go, okay, are the fucking gongs with Long Duck Dong. It's like, right. all right, I was three in 1984, but I think even when I was a little kid, that always felt pretty weird to me. <laughs> right. You know, the character is already such a broad caricature. The only thing that buys you any goodwill is that the actor had no issue with it and still talks about how he had no issue with it. And the act, the character is very lovable and almost treated like a hero, um, but the gongs are inexcusable. The, the you gongs know. are a bit much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but like, it, it's it's true. People change, taste change, things change. Was it right then? No, but but again, in that, the in in line with our conversation, yeah, you can have a misfire and not be a complete piece of shit. Sure, it is possible. Sure, to make a mistake. Yeah. Uh, which everybody has seemed to have forgotten. Right. Um, yeah. In, in doing these tapings, you know, we had to do a scene where these two, the two friends, uh, David Alan Greer and Martin Muller, keep insulting each other. So the other night, we ran in like thirty alts of them insulting each other, and it would be like laugh, 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 and then one would go too far, and the audience would go, <gasps> right, which just meant like, but okay, these guys are friends. I don't want to see them be that mean to each other. And then right. you're like, okay, got it. So yeah. we'll do one that's between this one and that one. That's how comedy works. You know, I, it's, uh, you can't do comedy unless you're occasionally stepping on people's toes. I, I don't think ro- what Roseanne was doing on Twitter can be considered comedy. But, uh, you know. It's a bad, listen, it's a bad joke. Yeah. But if you want to start dancing in that fucking arena sure. of what's an okay joke which is w- versus what is not. I'm saying I don't think she was making joke attempts. She was more a political commentator at that point because all she was doing was talking about vaccines and Trump and everything else. The, uh, well, look, and that might be the case, too. I don't know. Who but uh, it's, I, I'm not in her head, thank God. Whose <laughs> <laughs> uh, head are you in? Um, Let's talk about James Gunn's, uh, not head? his first film, because, what's that? Head? Who, what? I said, whose head are you in? You said, I'm not in her head, thank God. And I said, whose oh. head are you in? I'm in mine, although, I, you know, that's not much better, I assure you. You're really not listening to me today. I didn't hear you say whose head, that's it. What is, what, 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 what did I do to you today? What are you, what's up, what's up, what did I do? Why don't you, why We're don't having you... a great conversation. I know, I'm kidding. Come you on, are, I'm again, joking. presenting your genitals to me like an animal. I'm not presenting, sitting across, this is what Folks, I wish you could see this. I'm sitting across from you with my legs up. I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. All right. Where do you want me to put my legs? It just makes it so I almost can't look at you because I'm looking at your balls in jean shorts. Pat, I'd prefer it that you stare at the ground when we speak. <laughs> Uh, James Gunn Slither. James Gunn Slither may be, I don't have confirmation on this, but it might be the first movie I saw upon moving to Los Angeles in 2006. Uh, a very mild fun fact for you. But uh, 
James Gunn, prior to Slither, had done like Tromeo and Juliet. I never saw any of those Troma, 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 Troma pictures. Uh, do you watch those things? Uh, I've tried to watch some of them. Not uh, for me. I, I, I appreciate what those that whole team does over there. I think yeah. it's a lot of fun and it's great. Uh, they're just not really my right. style. Gunn uh, wrote the Scooby-Doo movies, neither of which I saw. He First wrote... one was great. Really? Yeah. Oh, I got to see that. And he wrote the Dawn of the Dead remake, which I think is one of the best horror movies of the 2000s. Yeah. Um, Slither straddles the horror comedy line. I watched the documentary on the, which I don't know if you want to do scary stuff. We don't have time. We're okay. at 54 minutes. We oh, shit. Talked right. about- <laughs> uh, but I watched the Scream Factory DVD and on the uh, Blu-ray gun, it's a modern day interview, modern day, but before this all happened. And he is basically saying he was so excited and they were excited about the movie and they didn't want to send it to critics, but he insisted and it got amazingly good reviews and he was all excited. But then right before it came out, some movie web or something did a post on the most successful horror comedies of all time and they maxed out at like $15 million. And he was reading through this list and was like, every horror comedy has bombed. This is going to bomb, and it bombed. So it's a genre that, for whatever reason, people don't roll with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're never successful outside of, like, Gremlins. Um, and you sort of can see why. This movie, to me, felt trapped, really, between not being funny enough to be a comedy and not being scary enough to be horror. That said, um, I enjoyed it. It's basically about you know, a virus that comes down from space and then people pass it to each other and they become zombies. But the makeup effects, some of the practical special effects in the movie, the giant, the woman that's blown up into like a giant mm-hmm. blob, uh, the makeup on Michael Rooker, some pretty incredible shit. The practical like, effects are amazing. The, yeah. C, the CG effects leave a lot to be desired, but uh, the but the practical effects were fantastic. Yeah, and it's it's gross in like a fun way. You know, uh, I like the cast a lot. It had that 80s vibe to it. I just never found myself laughing out loud, and I never found myself scared. So it's hard to call it a huge success, but it's a very enjoyable movie, I thought. I laughed a few times. I found some of the jokes quite funny. Others were just jokes you'd kind of expect in a movie like this. Right. Um. Again, I thought the makeup effects were great. I thought there were some genuinely creepy parts. I did think the film was just Night of the Creeps, though. I mean, Night of the Creeps is about... I've never seen it. ...these worm things that come down from outer space. They look exactly like the things in this movie. Yeah. They crawl in through your mouth, and then they turn you into a zombie. Right. In this, they crawl in through your mouth. They turn you into a zombie that also wants to eat meat and you know, become part of the conscious and physical part of this this greater being or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, you know, again, splitting hairs. It's like it's like it's kind of the same thing. Um Night of the Creeps is a great eighties horror movie. You would love it. Right. Uh and this was a fun movie. Um what's Night of the Comet? That is I think an also a zombie you know I have the VHS over there. I've never watched it yet. Okay. I've heard it's amazing. I don't know I, why I've I never might have watched both. It. When I bought a bunch of those Scream Factor, I think I have both. Um, but uh, but you know it's a pretty good movie. The cast, you know, you got Nathan Fillion, who I always love because I'm a big Firefly fan. You got Elizabeth Banks, always good. Great. Uh, Michael Rooker, always good. Um, I guess that's it, right? Everybody else is kind of a yeah. There's a you know Jenna Fisher who was James Gunn's wife. Yeah, it's a small part. small part. Um, but. You know, look, what I appreciated about it more than anything was it seemed to me that James Gunn really has an affinity for a certain type of horror mm-hmm. and and for for a certain type of fun in his movies, as you know, as he obviously tries to do with Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that. Um, and I appreciate that he puts that on screen to, to at times, you know, with this movie, I appreciated it more than I do with Guardians. Those movies kind of rub me the wrong way. But uh 
but you know, he he he's not uh, the greatest writer of all time. He's not the greatest director of all time. But he does know how to get that sort of nostalgia up on the screen. Yeah, and uh, and his fandom up on the screen. And it, that's pretty cool. It's it's you know, it's a movie I'd certainly watch again. But I happen to own it. I bought it on blind faith. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to keep it. But uh, it's, it's something I'd watch again. But if I didn't own it, I wouldn't feel that I need to go buy this. Was this a first viewing for you? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought the mayor character was funny. I liked his Mr. Pib rant. That was funny. I liked the the running joke that he says cocksucker to everybody. Yeah. I thought that was very funny. Yeah. It, uh, uh, you know, it just lost a little steam at a certain point for me. It, it uh... I don't know. It's it's not a not not the classic that it, I think it's made out to be a lot these days. But I, it I think if it was made in the eighties, I'd probably have a lot more affection for it. I like too that that the ridiculous marriage between Elizabeth Banks and Michael Rooker. Sure. Uh, you know everybody is saying in the town like clearly she's taking this guy for a ride. I mean she's right. gorgeous and he's twenty years older than her, or whatever it is. Yeah. I actually liked that. When when it when it came down to it, you saw that she actually did love him. That stuff and was like yeah, like King Kong or something. It worked yeah. really well. For, I thought it was kind of weirdly sweet. Yeah, I thought that was a nice turn because it yeah. would have been easy to go the other way and be like, oh, she can't wait to hop into bed with the hot right. sheriff or whatever. And um, then also when Rooker goes out in the woods and is going to bang that woman, he's like, I can't. I'm married. Like yeah, you know, they didn't take the easy way out on those things. Yeah, which was interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, an above average one of these kinds of movies, you know, and uh, I think some really great low budget effects, unquestionably. Like that's that's I don't remember whole movies I saw 10 years ago, but when I started to watch this this weekend for the second time, I was like, I remember all of this stuff. The the giant blob lady, the the crate with the that naked fat guy getting absorbed yeah. into the creature, which is particularly disgusting. Um, there's lots of really cool stuff that I hadn't really seen before, visual ones. Yeah, the the makeup was a was certainly a throwback to to society, which is another really great practical effects horror movie. What's society horror comedy. Society is a movie about how there, you know, the elite, the group of elite people in this one affluent suburb turn out to be like aliens in secret that actually connect together and feed. On the poor people. Okay. And that's that's the secret. It's, you know, it's the secret society, the elite class, whatever. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty fun movie. Uh, I would say sort of a horror comedy. Def- it was definitely a- an influence on this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting to watch this documentary. He references movies as inspirations that clearly were not as big of influences as the ones that he ripped off because I think he didn't want to admit that he had ripped them off. Mm-hmm. So there's no mention of Night of the Creeps or anything like that. He says he was influenced by The Thing and a few other movies that any horror movie has been influenced by. The Thing? I don't see that. No. Really in here. But, uh, well, I guess a little bit, but... Yeah. Um, I remember a lot at the time of people accusing him of ripping off Night of the Creeps and then other reviews were like, he rips off every movie, like... It, it's hard to be upset about this one, but you know, horror is. Maybe a, it's not a good movie. Night of the what? <laughs> Maybe this isn't a good movie. Slither. Uh, I had a good time with it. It's yeah. not a great movie. I had a good time with it. It's no Tremors. I mean, what is? What is? What is? Uh, there, I was one other. Uh, you know what? I can't say. I'm just going too much of a spoiler. Well, no, we always do spoilers of Slither. Yeah, go ahead. I like the, the setup at the beginning when the cops are getting guns. They're getting yeah. like armed up to go like hunt this thing. Yeah, and the one deputy goes like, "We got that hand grenade from the time I confiscated it for you know. Yeah. Should we bring that?" And he's like, "No, I think we'll be all right without it." And when you first see that in the movie, I'm like, oh "My God, that was a horrid <laughs> setup." Uh huh. But they did. They do great with it because they sure enough they do go back and get the hand grenade and it it, it fails them. Right. And it's like I was like, oh, that's funny. He got me with that. Yeah. I was a good. That was a good little device. Yeah. Um, anyway, see Slither if you want. If you don't, frankly, people, I don't give a shit <laughs> what you do with your time. Uh, this is our show. 
What I guess we're in September here. Uh, well, look, if you're in the Atlanta area, uh, last weekend of this month, I'll be doing the Red Clay Comedy Festival on the Sunday night, the last Sunday in September. I will be recording my new album, and I am recording it exclusively for Sirius and XM Radio. It will only be released there. So uh, come on down. We're doing two shows at the Earl, 7 and 9.30 on that Sunday night. Um, I hope to see you there. And if for some reason you, you're living in uh, China or Japan, I'll be over there prior, uh, the week prior in Shanghai and then Tokyo. So I hope to see all of y'all. And uh, after the album recording, I'm going to do, I think, a few shows around the southeastern United States. So... A lot of stuff coming up, a lot of new material, and uh, I'm, I'm excited about this newest hour. So come on out. Oh, Joe DeRosa Comedy on Instagram. I'm the Patrick Walsh, Twitter and Instagram. Follow See You in Hell Pod on Instagram. Follow or join the We'll See You in Hell page on Facebook, run by Emily Florence, Ken Hanley. They're doing great work. They've also set up our October 28th live shows in Los Angeles. I'm sorry. October 20th live shows in Los Angeles at 7.30 and 9.30. We are officially sold out. There may be a standby line. Watch the Facebook page or the Instagram for that info. Uh, Cool Kids, September 28th on Fox, 7.30, Uh, It's a very funny show. That's all I got. We'll see you next time with uh, Tales from the Hood. And we'll see you in hell. 